0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, our special healthcare series leading up to the Voice of Healthcare Summit in August. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. This Week in Voice is our flagship show. We're out of season right now. Season four wrapped up earlier this year. Season five kicks off uh, toward the end of August and early September but we're taking the time to do a five episode slate of healthcare episodes, each one taking a look at a particular aspect of voice technology and AI uh, and their intersection with modern healthcare. The focus today will be on accessibility in healthcare and we're thrilled to have an excellent panel of three really interesting folks. Tara, I'm gonna start with you. Tara Naresborough, right?
1: Amazing work, yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> okay. Thank you for being part of the show with us. Take a moment, tell us who you are, tell us who you're with, tell us what you do.
1: Perfect, yeah, thank you so much for having me. So, as you said beautifully, my name is Taryn Nearsborough. My educational background is in neuroscience and health communications, and I spent the past about 10 years working in voice and chat interaction design within healthcare, so for most of that time, I was the director of voice user interface design at ME Solutions, which is now Walters Kluwer. And now I work part-time as an independent consultant um, developing um, conversational solutions within healthcare. And then I also work part-time for a company called Renalis Health. Uh, I'm the director of product design there. And we really work on addressing um, gaps in care within the pelvic health space. And by that, I mean all that fun, sexy stuff like OAB, overactive bladder, um, fibroids, menstruation, and things like that. Um, And so we're working on a a digital therapeutic chatbot solution uh, to address that. And so, yeah, I'm super excited to be here talking about accessibility in healthcare. The longer I've been in the, the industry, the more I've realized just wow this is really not set up for everyone (laughs) so it's a big goal of mine moving forward to try and work to equalize it so i'm really excited to hear um, what everyone else has to say um yeah and the work that i do with Rinalis, i'm really loving because it's it's really the intersection of a lot of different accessibility issues there's um the physical accessibility of not enough um clinicians who know how to do this type of thing like pelvic floor physical therapy and whatnot which if you don't know now, you might, by the end of the podcast, is a really big deal. (laughs) Um, And there's also financial issue. It's very costly. And then this also uh, concept of what I like to call emotional accessibility, just um, especially for people assigned female at birth, just the pelvis, the uterus, the vagina, all that stuff. It's just very charged. Usually there's kind of like anxiety, even when I say it, um, there's feelings of disconnect there, uh, especially for gender expansive and sexuality expansive people. People have been through trauma. We're trained to feel shame. So it's just this area where so, so many different kinds of things get in the way of people in their care. So uh, yeah, anyway, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Tara, thank you very much for being part of the show with us. Our next guest is Dale LaRue. Dale, say hello.
2: Uh, hi, uh, happy to be here, uh, um, Bradley. As you uh, as you mentioned, I'm from uh, Rain, uh, Rain Agency, uh, and, and for those in, in the voice space, will definitely uh, or or may know of Rain. Um, but we're a conversational strategy and engineering shop, um, so really helping brands, uh, d- you know, determine their voice strategy. A lot of them entering the sector, the space for the very first time. Um, and my role is uh, the is a, a strategy director here at Rain. Uh, and I'm one of the internal leads in helping uh, kind of shape, Rape's, or shape Rain's point of view in uh, developing uh, healthcare uh, voice experiences and voice strategies. Uh, I've worked closely with um, some of our pharmaceutical uh, uh, companies in both the consumer healthcare side as well as in the pharma uh, space and developing um, some more of the voice perspective for uh, patient journeys along chronic conditions um, and initial thinking in ways that voice in a very regulated space like healthcare right now um, can actually be, uh, part of that patient journey. And we talk about accessibility, um, you know, helping those that are more disabled, those that require dependencies on a lot of other, um, whether it's, uh, providers or family members or network to, uh, to, to take care on, we're thinking a lot of ways about how voice can, uh, have a part of that patient journey, um, and, and really think about accessibility in in new ways, uh, that weren't previously there without a
0: voice-enabled future. Dale, perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what that is right now. That's, uh, that's someone drilling into your home, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll proceed. <laughs> um, Dale, thank you very much. And the folks at RAIN Agency are great. We appreciate you being part of the show. And John Gordon, the LifePod. John, thank you for being part of the show as well. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do.
3: Sure. Uh, thank you, uh, Bradley. Appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and join this, uh, this great panel uh, and Dale, I've been there. I totally understand. Uh, you just can't win. Uh, but you can always hop in your car. Tara's proven that. Uh, that's an option. Uh, so um, so uh, John Gordon here. Uh, I am CEO of LifePod. And I've uh, been with LifePod now uh, almost exactly three months. So uh, new to uh, this role, though not necessarily new to the voice space. Um, by way of background, uh, I was uh, this. I guess does make me a serial entrepreneur at this point. Was an entrepreneur back uh, about a, over a decade ago, and then ended up joining New York Presbyterian Hospital, where I focused first on strategy, and then built and ran their corporate venture uh, side of the house, and then uh, joined uh, Commonwealth Care Alliance last year, which is a duals payer, so we have both Medicare and Medicaid eligible members in the state of Massachusetts. Um, And very much relevant to this notion of accessibility, our members have very significant healthcare needs. Um, Two thirds of our members are under the age of 65 and qualify for Medicare by DINT of either having neurodegenerative disease uh, or severe mental illness. So obviously accessibility is very key to us. The other one third are over the age of 65. Um, Members have very high rates of chronic disease and and everything that you'd expect in a complex population. so CCA, uh, and I'll, d- I'll give the brief version of the story here, but uh, CCA made a uh, controlling investment in LifePod earlier this year, uh, right about the time that we all went into uh, lockdown, isolation, seclusion, whatever the, uh, the term for it is, retreat uh, in, in the face of COVID. Um, and so uh, this just feels like any other day on Zoom, I guess. But uh, so we Uh, CCA has very much, um, the way we manage the population that we have is we manage them through a lot of home-based care. And obviously in a COVID era, that's a really hard thing to do. So we switched to a lot of telephonic care and, uh, we recognized that we were making a lot of phone calls to people on very basic needs. Do you have enough food? Do you have all of your medication? Is your PCA, your personal care attendant, who helps you with your activities of daily living, are they coming to your home to check in on you and, and making sure that you know, you're staying clean, you have, you, know, you have meals and things like that? And we, we worked with LifePod, which is a company that uses proactive voice to engage individuals and, and support caregivers, um, using smart speaker technology, but uh, the difference being it's proactive in that it will reach out to you and ask questions versus being reactive. And we were excited about the possibility. We'd done a pilot and we were trying to figure out where we were going with this next, and then COVID hit and we said, gosh, you know what we can do is we can take all of those sort of standardized phone calls that we have, and we can replace those uh, with automated check-ins and therefore our care manager. So every one of our 37,000 members at CCA has a care partner or care manager. And let's give those folks the opportunity to focus on those high-need oper- cases, those high-need issues that are out there so that when the individual says, no, I don't have enough food, let's, give, let's have a human intervention there. But if they have enough food and they're fine, then that's okay. Um, so we, we made a controlling investment in LifePod, and I stepped in to uh, take LifePod in its new direction. LifePod started as a one-to-one caregiver-to-care recipient management company, and we're building it into an enterprise solution. Um, So I've been running it for the past three months and we can get into more about what LifePod does and how it helps uh, uh, Underserved populations uh, as we go through our conversation
0: John, thank you very much for being part of the show with us. Thank you to all three of you Uh, Just very interesting very accomplished group and we appreciate uh, y'all taking the time so let's start off by um, Asking the question you know, I I, I want to ask each of the three of you what's changed with your organization with the pandemic, but I'm also at the same time gonna ask what's changed with accessibility and healthcare with voice too. You know, in other areas of voice, what we've seen is acceleration caused by the pandemic. We've seen um, you know, the way I describe it is all of the folks who looked at voice before the pandemic and thought, you know what? There's something to that, Um, but it's not urgent. I I don't, I I can sit on the fence a while longer. I don't have to act on this just yet. Um, That's changed now. And um, just like in so many other things, the way that the world was moving before all this We're now getting there faster and it's accelerated us. And so it's a two-pronged question for y'all. And Tara, I'm going to start with you and go through the panel in the same order I just did. Um, Share with us uh, a way that the pandemic has changed things for you personally and with your organization. And then share with us a way that you think the pandemic maybe has changed how voice is making healthcare more accessible.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, personally, has probably been the most disruptive. Used to be based out of Mexico City. Now I'm, you know, in the car all the time <laughs> and mostly in Colorado. Uh, so uh, my my independent consulting business has relocated. Um, but honestly, for the most part, I, I echo um, what a lot of people in digital health are saying right now. You know, obviously, we never want to see this kind of tragedy happen again. But it really has awaken people to what digital health can do now that we're really being called in to um, to put out these emergencies that are popping up within, within health and accessibility. Um, you know, when I first got started in voice, um, it was always thought of in the industry as like an inferior substitute for a human. Um, and sometimes it is. <laughs> but a lot of times, as we all know, it's really not. And I think people are waking up to the Venn diagram of that where, um, you know, there's some things that humans do amazingly and we should let them do it. Like John, what you were saying, um, and optimizing what is a human here for and what is digital here for. And I think people are starting to get a sense of those divisions. Like I can sit around all day and think about what is the best way to have, um, you know, an emotionally sensitive conversation with someone that's going to improve their long-term health behavior change. A doctor's responsible for a trillion things and they can't do that for everyone in every condition. Um, and I can, so I think there's a little bit more of an openness to divide and conquer. And in this period where we're forced to make ginormous changes, it's sort of accelerating it. So I really hope that that turns into something um, that can benefit everyone, uh, everyone who gets health and um, clinicians, people working in healthcare. Um, yeah, I consult for a lot of startups, you know, people are a little bit risk averse right now. Um, but thankfully in digital health, I'm blessed to stop <laughs> work and, um, to see more enthusiasm for, for what this stuff can do.
0: No, I like that. Yeah. I, I, I like that a lot. Like just the mindset change, um, that we're seeing. Yeah. That, that's excellent. Dale, same question for you. A, personal change or, or a change that you've seen within your organization brought on by the pandemic and then uh, a change that perhaps you've seen with accessibility in healthcare caused by voice as well?
2: Well, there's something to to what each of you have said so far. Uh, I mean, Brad, first saying that a lot of people have thought about voice and said, maybe it's not important. I can deprioritize it. Uh, and then Terry, you mentioned that voice has this tendency for maybe specifically in healthcare to be inferior to being able to connect with a human, but um, what has happened in the course of the last four months of this year um, are that we don't have enough humans to go around when it comes to healthcare. Uh, and because of the, the shifting behaviors that are associated with, with what's happening right now, whether it's being remote or whether it's being more hygiene conscious, all of a sudden voice has a, a tendency to be a little bit more important for, for reasons of closing the distance between people, um, serving as a replacement for people, uh, and also being something of just heightened priority from a, from a digital behavior standpoint. Um, so I thought those are both interesting things that that I just see from general voice um, acceptance and, and readiness that that I think are changing. Um, but interesting for for us at rain I mean, we we work and 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 deploy experiences across a lot of different sectors and verticals and and one of the things that that we've seen is that across the board really, our, our our branded voice experiences, whether it's skills, actions, or native, have all seen increased usage. Uh, that was especially true at the height of the pandemic in the early period of time. So it's interesting to see things that have already been you know already been built that have already been out um, start to accumulate a little bit more usage, and maybe it's uh, rediscovering uh, these these interfaces in your home. And that's an interesting uh, it's an interesting point for us as we uh, are starting to look at, at, at growth at rain coming out of, of the pandemic is okay, if we're seeing some, some interesting data around rise in usage, what are the behaviors? Can we really model voice experiences around in the home? Um, and I think, I, think I, I have no idea what that is over there. I'm sorry. This is my first day back in Brooklyn after being gone for a month. And I guess there's a construction that starts at one o'clock sharp. Uh, You're <laughs> um, but uh, as, as far as growth, I think because people are starting to recognize, that maybe we need to start to think about voice a little bit uh, more specifically. I think there's just a, a more general awareness around there has to be a voice strategy, especially in healthcare. One of the things that I've noticed as well, um, and, and just from doing, you know, like I said, I, I sit at rain and try to shape, continue to bring knowledge around healthcare uh, activity to make our our point of view sharper as we uh, continue to grow relationships in the healthcare space. And the one area that I see as as an immediate opportunity is, is the rise in this virtual care and really where telemedicine has worked uh, prior. The rise in demand of telemedicine as a, ra- as a, as a response to coronavirus is, is something that I've seen numbers around 1 billion telemedicine or virtual, doc- virtual care appointments in 2020. There's just no realistic way that current infrastructure in place can satisfy that type of demand. And I think you know, that shift to a preference of telemedicine, whether it's for COVID-related symptoms or general care or even mental health. Um, I think that's something that we is undoubtedly going to see arise and an opportunity where we really see voice maybe as, as being able to, to, to reach to that. So, um, you know, I guess we talk a little bit more about that as we start thinking about predictions and trends, but I think that's one of the obvious things to me is just remote care or virtual care. And, and in a place where it has to instantly change behavior is, uh, is very interesting to see what's going to be born out of that.
0: No, that's well said. Yeah. And I think, uh, the genie's out of the bottle on telehealth, um, for sure. And, uh, you know, we'll probably look back and say, why did we have half of these people go sit in a waiting room, you know, crowded with everybody else, uh, waiting an hour longer than they thought they were going to, um, because the doctor had to tend to someone dying on the, you know, in the emergency room. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, I completely agree. John, same question for you. And and as you noted, uh, to start the show, you're, entire existence the last few months has been one of one of change. Um but uh I'm curious to get your thoughts on um you know changes maybe that you have instituted at LifePod related to the pandemic, uh if those apply and uh and more importantly, how you view how voice and AI, you know, shifts in that landscape as a result of the pandemic uh that have made healthcare more accessible.
3: Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm my guess is probably most of you in the, in the view, uh, viewers, listeners, I'm not, I'm not sure of the format, but, uh, both, um, ha- may have seen what was going around, uh, Twitter. I think in April was this one little quick, uh, meme that was who in your organization drove your digital strategy. Uh, what a CEO, B CIO, C COVID-19. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really quite incredible. I mean, so in my previous role at New York Presbyterian, we spent you know, probably about two years really standing up our telehealth program at scale, um, and this was 2015 through 2017, basically, uh, standing it up. Um, we got to the same scale at CCA in four weeks. Uh, we, we didn't have a choice, though. I mean, the, the imperatives were a little bit different, so let me, let me be clear about that. Um, and obviously, NYP's done some amazing work to grow its in-demand program in, in the context of COVID since then. Um, but you know I would say you know going to the personal question you know what's changed I one of the interesting things is you know really is to step into a, a new company you know I've, I've been engaged with them prior but as a board observer um, in my role from CCA as opposed to being actively involved in it on a day-to-day basis and to step in and you know one have a, a the response of building the trust to the organization and and having them see me as uh, you know, that that they would be comfortable working with me and, and helping, you know, sort of all come together on a vision for the business. That's hard enough to do in person. It's even harder to do when you're talking to people who you've never actually even met in person and things like that. So, so, um, so navigating that and continuing to build a company culture is a really challenging thing. And I think, you know, the, the nice thing is from that standpoint, I think everyone is, uh, for the most part, pretty, you know, we' the team's been very flexible. Everyone's been very flexible and engaged and sort of saying, okay, we understand this is not the reality we were sort of expecting for 2020 and uh, we've got a lot of changes going on, but we're going to roll with it. Everything's on Zoom, but you know what? We we're pointing the company in a good direction. We've got strong engagement, you know, both internally and then from our core customer CCA. Um, so things are pointing in the right direction, and so we're you know everyone's you know pulling on the oars and, and and making the boat go one way. So so I think that that's been a very positive thing, and I and I give enormous credit to to everyone on the LifePod team for for putting up with me and, and for, you know, being flexible and having that flexible mindset. I think there's, there's really a lot there. Um, but that's been probably the biggest change. Um, other than, you know, I I used to commute to Boston from New York city every week. And now I sit at a folding table in a, in front of a volcano, as you can see. Um, but, uh, so that, that, you know, is another big personal change, just sort of, uh, Tara, just like you, you came back from Mexico city, same completely feel you. Um, so uh, and then I t- I guess more broadly across uh, healthcare in general and voice, I think there's a couple things I guess um, you know we as CCA, given you know what I laid about laid out about our membership, we're very focused on accessibility. And one of the things we did with our telehealth, and I and I appreciate uh, CMS providing a waiver to HIPAA because that's you know, uh, you know, I recognize the importance of privacy and security. But on the other hand, you know, if you if you're going to make everyone, for instance, create an account and log in with an email address, well, you're going to exclude a large number of people who don't have email or don't use it regularly. And that's been a big problem, for instance, from a telehealth standpoint. Um, And so the nice thing is with the waivers that CMS granted, we were able to do telehealth via WhatsApp. And that's, that's all about, and that's been, been our focus for, at CCAs, meeting people where they are. They already use WhatsApp to communicate with family members, maybe in another country or just around, around, around the U.S. Um, and so if they can communicate with their doctor the same way, it's something they're already comfortable with. And that's, that's been a big uh, focus there. And, and, you know, I think voice is another thing where we're working on trying to meet people where they are and recognize that this is not everyone loves to text and I've, you know, I've met CCA members who are incredibly facile at technology and know it really well. On the other hand, I've met people, you know, uh, you know, in their 20s and 30s uh, who don't use texting at all and still use a flip phone um, because that's what they're comfortable with and that's what they know. So there's um, there's a wide variety, and what we need to do is really meet everyone where they are. And I think voice has a role to play there. It's it's an interface that people are used to. Um, the challenge that we have, I think, in voice is that we don't understand language. At least we haven't built a a model of language that's fully functional. that works the same way this conversation is happening. And so we also have to manage people's expectations. We're providing you this device. It's going to be different than texting. Um, But on the other hand, uh, it's not going to do everything that, you know, you might desire it to do. And so we, we have to manage their expectations. So that's one thing. And I would say one other thing to add is that, I think one place we still have to go as an industry, not just voice, but overall, sort of part of its remote patient monitoring, remote engagement, just generally, I think the healthcare system as a whole is going to be more distributed. It was always gonna be more distributed going forward. It can't be centralized in large institutions. It makes it too inaccessible, but in generally it's gonna be more distributed. So we need to one bridge the digital divide and make sure that everyone has connectivity because the internet ultimately needs to be a public utility. Because everyone, it's it's just like electricity, it's just like water and sanitation. It's essential, especially when you start talking about its role in healthcare. But I think broadly, as we look across this, because it's still early, um, we're still looking at these things in silos. Like, okay, this one's a voice strategy and this is a texting strategy, and this is an app strategy, and this is a telehealth strategy. And having been on the provider side and, and on the payer side as well, these things need to consolidate. They need to come together so that you have one platform. It's the exact same thing when, you know, um, when I was investing in AI for radiology, one company was doing lungs and another one was doing livers and you can't buy 47 different things all to run on your MRI machine. And ultimately as an an institution that needs to engage its patients, you can't have 17 solutions. And so these things do need to consolidate into a single platform ultimately, and hopefully it's not the EMR,
0: Please not the E.M.R. Uh, that
3: ultimately these things will be driven through.
0: No, that's excellent. Yeah, and th- thank all three of you for that. Um, I, I want to, um, you know, there's a couple of questions that that are on the docket for this, and and I'm going to, I'm going to go off script for a minute, because I wanna ask about something. Um, And if I had thought about it when we were talking about this podcast before we got started, I would have mentioned it, but I'm I'm just gonna spring it on you now and get get your thoughts and and I'm gonna work backwards. So John, I'm gonna start with you. You know, when we talk about accessibility in healthcare, we've got what might be the greatest, most ultimate accessibility story that's about to play out. With, you know, the, the news broke this morning that Oxford University thinks that they've cracked the code with the coronavirus vaccine. Um, there's been some some stories of uh, other uh, companies that have made progress. Um, I want to get your thoughts, and I'll ask this, and then we'll close the show by asking about a trend, you know, with voice. Um, so I'll ask that at the end but there's no way I could do this show without asking about this. What do you think that we will see with a vaccine with the coronavirus? Do you think that it will, um, you know, most people would think that the, the vaccine will will help make uh, the world more accessible again. And, and I, I think it will, but there may be challenges along the way. And you actually spoke to several interesting things with everything you just talked about uh, the fact that some people don't have emails uh, and that denies them the ability to, uh receive healthcare, uh there's an uneven playing field out there. I'll just sort of ask it generally, what does the news of a coronavirus vaccine mean to you in your role at LifePod?
3: Um, yeah, now I now I'm on unmuted. Um and so you're asking the, the softball questions now, I see. Um, you know it's it's a really interesting thing. I, ultimately, I would say the evolution in the way we deliver care, that genie doesn't go back in the bottle. Some things have changed forever, whether it's the nature of business travel and business communications, the ability to work uh, remotely. Um, I think there are clearly small businesses and restaurants that are gone forever, which you know is is truly a tragedy because um, those are so much of the fabric of the lives of so many people, not only for employment, but just where they find their lives. Um, but I think the changes in terms of the way we think about healthcare, as I was speaking to a minute ago, those I think are, there were already some of these fault lines that you're starting to see of, of sort of the dominance of large health systems and, and things like that. And, and you are starting to see, you know, as you're, you've got your CVS and Aetna, like, what does that ultimately mean? Walmart coming in and saying, okay, we're going to, you know, we're not only are we opening up clinics, but we're now going to start to sell insurance, which by the way, is the first, uh, not their own insurance. They're, they're going to help broker others. But if I were a betting man, eventually Walmart was going to sell their own insurance. Uh, but no better way to do it than learn it by selling someone else's product. Uh, Amazon's really good at that. Um, then uh, you know you've already started to see these these trends. You know you just saw Walgreens announced uh, I think with Village MD they're going to open up six to seven hundred new clinics. Um, so you've got these things that are coming along, and I think adding digital into the mix is a huge uh, opportunity. And I think you know with everything we were alluding to, I think this just you know the vaccine doesn't change that course. I think what it does is it allows us to, and again, you know, I'll believe it when it happens. Number one, I'll believe it when people actually start taking the vaccine. We can't even get people to wear masks. So if we can't get people to wear masks, we also get, you know, convincing them to actually take a vaccine um, is, is not a challenge I want to underestimate, let alone the logistics issues, the 7 billion glass vials, Let's just put that out, and then distributing it around things like uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, You talk about uh, challenges there, but um, I don't. I think what it does is it allows us to start to uh, broadly, as a society, as a healthcare system, to say, okay, what do we what do we accomplish out of this uh, this response that we want to retain, and what do we want to have come back to sort of where we were before? What's the new? normal, normal is a word I, I don't want to use, overuse these days. Um, and and I think LifePod, you know, is going to continue to have a role in that sort of thing because we've recognized that re- managing individuals uh, care through remote monitoring, if you layer the right analytics and insight onto that is absolutely essential. You know, we've realized that people don't need to go to the hospital as much as they do, and they can interact with the healthcare system through far more channels than they have in the past. And we're another resource for that. Um, And I think that's going to be, I think our our opportunity is to really seize that that, that opportunity in front of us and really become part of that fabric of the new healthcare system.
0: Excellent. Yeah, no, that's great. Dale, I'm going to ask you the same question. So with coronavirus vaccine optimism uh, abounding, uh, what does that what does that mean for you and for Rain agency? How do you view that?
2: Yeah, I um I won't pretend to be an expert on, you know, public health and the uh, wide-scale uh, efforts to vaccinate, but I do think that um, you know, from Rain's perspective and where we stand on on accessibility through voice and the role of I would say the big three from you know, not to marginalize um kind of any other players in voice, but the accessibility of, of any one person to you know, uh, an, an Apple device or a Google-enabled device or an Alexa-enabled device and the role that they, that they should be playing in um, safely and factually bringing about public health in the wake of something like a, a widely available vaccine, not to say that uh, Oxford's early results mean that it's going to be widespread available availability, but I go back to what I think it was a, a C, what Apple and Siri did at, at maybe week two of the uh, U.S.'s shutdown, which started right here in New York, was You know, there was a lot of hysteria over, uh, you know, something that maybe was more stress related, uh, resulting in symptoms that uh, people thought they might be having, you know, misdiagnosing themselves with with coronavirus. And what Siri did was actually institute like a symptom checker that you could simply do right there through your mobile phone. And I think that the role that some of these the, the big three, especially and with their relationship to the healthcare industry should really be about giving a, a source of truth or as a way to manage information during a time where there's going to be um, available, you know, obviously for cost vaccines for for the uninsured and for obviously for the insured as well, um, but also misinformation campaigns or, you know, uh, counterpoints of view that are going to drive some sort of ambiguous gray area where people are not going to necessarily know which way to go. And given the the global scale of, of everything that we're all going through, I, I do think that Big tech leaders, of course, among others, have a responsibility to leverage their access and their scale um, in the in the sake of public health. And I think we've seen a lot of that so far in the course of of undergoing the the coronavirus in twenty twenty. But I think that's to me where I I see from uh, from a personal point of view around the role of voice and the scale of these uh, of these players that uh, they have, I think, a responsibility to do that.
0: Excellent. Yeah, uh, well said. And Tara, I'm going to ask you the same thing. So within this context of accessibility in healthcare, how do you view uh, this uh, very optimistic news about uh, a coronavirus vaccine? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, no, that's a fascinating question. Um, You know, I try to be a big optimist, and I think there are a lot of things that over time get better. But it's honestly been very scary to see the disparity in healthcare amid coronavirus. Um, I think we've all seen the statistics about how um, health and safety and death is different across um, economic lines, across um, racial lines. The massive deaths in the Black, Brown, Indigenous communities. So it's um, I've got definitely my radar up. It's it's scary, but I think. Um, Something that I have been happy about is to just see the people coming awake. I think much as people are becoming aware of, you know, digital healthcare, I think we're paying attention to a lot of things. Like we talk more about health as a society right now. Um, We have people talking kind of like what you were saying earlier about, oh, we can't get people to wear masks. I spend like every day thinking about how do you get people to do things that benefit themselves and society I'm well aware that people don't do that. And now the world is too. And so maybe when a vaccine comes out, you know, we're realizing, okay, we have this problem. We have this solution. Um, there could be more awareness that there's actually a lot of things that stand in the way of problem and like medical solution. There's so many emotions. Um, there's so many accessibility issues with, you know, physical location and price point. Um, and I think, you know, you never... You never want to have those barriers there, but the worst barrier is an invisible one (laughs) to most people. So yeah, I'm just hopeful that we can see these things. We can see maybe things like um, mistrust of the medical establishment. I think I'm just reading um, a really wonderful book called uh, Medical Apartheid about uh, history of medical experimentation. When new things would come out, they would test them on enslaved Black Americans. And that mistrust still really persists in the healthcare system today. So maybe people will become aware, you know, as I'm becoming aware um, now of just all all the stuff, all the behaviors. Um, At at ME, I used to spend um, every flu season constructing A-B tests to find out which messaging, which wording can I possibly use that will um, create more people to get the flu vaccine and just studying these language things. Because the flu vaccine, vaccine has been around for a while. That's also something, you know, that we've shown is safe and helps communities um, and still is not as widespread as it should be. Last year when I was on a crap insurance, they wanted to charge me a ridiculous amount for the flu vaccine. So there's just still so many barriers. Um, And so the, the pessimistic side of me says, beware, whenever health interventions come, they never spread across equally unless we really fight it. Um, but be optimistic that at least people are waking up and that you know we're talking today about accessibility, which I'm super pumped about. And so we're gonna we're gonna be a coalition fighting for <laughs> it to increase accessibility um, when it does come out. So thanks for that question.
0: Yeah, okay. no, I, I appreciate all three of those answers. I think it's um, there's no question it's not gonna be distributed evenly. And so the, the it uh, then the question becomes, okay, well, on the margins, how can we help make it more accessible uh, to, to more people who need it? And I think complicating this even further will be that it appears as if the one of the things that makes this disease unique is that the antibodies don't store in your system very long. And so it appears from what I was reading this morning that um, what these researchers believe has to happen is that. The va- you, you take this vaccine, you know, assuming that the vaccine moves forward and it progresses to, to be what they hope it will be, you'll have to take it at a totally different cadence than we're used to with like the flu vaccine where you really take it once a year. This, you have to be taking it more often because it doesn't hold up as long. And, and now you've just multiplied the accessibility issue 10 times over, um, you know, if that is the case. So, it's it's interesting, and I and with this panel, I feel like I would be remiss by not asking that because um, that has the sh- the appearance of being a major accessibility story of our of our time. I'm going to close by asking uh, each of the three of you. And Tara, I'm going to start with you and go through the original order. Um, you know, share with us. Uh, you got your crystal ball out. Put your Nostradamus hat on. Share with us a trend that you think that we will see involving voice, and it can be more broadly with, with healthcare, whatever way you, way you want to take it, but a trend with voice and healthcare that you think we'll see play out over the rest of 2020 into 2021.
1: Great. No, I love this question. Love my crystal ball. Yeah, so I'll make um, one more narrow one within voice and then a more global one, Um I think within healthcare, uh, something that I'm just starting to see the sparks of and really hoping we can fan that and get it going, 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 is people are more recognizing that voice and conversational agents overall can't just be these perfunctory communication mechanisms like, did you take your blood pressure medication? Yes, no. Like that can be great. We all know that, you know, just getting the data is huge, but- When you look at healthcare, the people who get the healthiest and follow more of their doctor's recommendations are people who perceive both competence, but also warmth in their physicians. They've shown um, a really big increase in adherence to treatment regimens um, and improvements in health. And the same thing is true when somebody relates more to that physician. Um, If they have this cold, unfeeling, no relationship between healthcare, like yes, they can get prescribed their medication, are they going to take it? Are they going to do the other things that help them feel better? Are they going to move that locus of control from outward, like doctors telling me to do this, to inward? I want to become healthier. Um, and so, much like we need this in our physicians to improve care, we also need that relational characteristic in bots, chat bots, voice applications. Um, and this is something, I mean, this is why I love being a designer in the space because I I love making bots that do that. But I see so many that um, kind of just focus on that more like logic angle, um, which is important, but it's much like a doctor, it's not the whole story. So I'm starting to see that and I think that um, especially as digital health pushes forward, um, hopefully more people will see that and they'll see bots that can really um, make, uh, a bigger difference when they're designed carefully. Uh, I used to personally just run all these experiments, um, uh, where I would have some clients that were really, um, controlled about what they wanted in a voice application and other clients that were more, okay, do whatever you want. And the ones where they let us design them surprised it better. Um, so I hope people, uh, not, not just a purely self-serving message, but I hope people wake up to, to what can be done when you really put attention on those, um, relational characteristics, um, and have a designer work with you up front instead of just tacking them on at the end to make the voice experience better. Um, and another prediction I would make is, um, you know, kind of like what I'm saying before about how people are waking up and seeing all these things, um, that aren't working in society. And I think when I say waking up people who've been impacted by this stuff for like hundreds of years, they've always been aware of it. But society at large is now waking up. And, um, you know, with all the injustice that we've seen in the health disparity within COVID, I think people are sick of this injustice and they're not standing for it. Um, We're seeing a lot of people, you know, speaking up, a lot of changes happening across the country um, in healthcare and then in politics um, more widely. And I think um, us in digital health are going to need to meet them where they're at as well and, and consider where, where are we when it comes to being inclusive towards um, different groups, especially groups that have historically been, you know, abused within healthcare um, or, or otherwise mistreated? So I think, I think we're going to be expected to, um, to meet that and to show up for um, all the things that people are calling out for change on now. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll just tack on a little, little tidbit of advice. Um, I've seen a lot of groups, uh, who are, who are very well-meaning, um, and want to address a lot of these things. Um, it, when they don't have the expertise in how to really address those inclusivity factors, it's always obvious to the groups that you're trying to communicate with. It just always is. There's plenty of consultants out there. I will personally help you connect with someone if you're, if you're trying to do this for your organization, but, um, yeah, I would encourage you to, to avoid those missteps. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think those would be what I, what I think we'll see and what I hope to see.
0: No, that's excellent. Yeah. And I think that uh, all of us hope that, uh, the, the empathy that we've seen sort of come, uh, yeah. bubbling up to the surface in many areas will, um, continue to be present in digital health. Uh, so far, I would say it's pretty, been pretty good, but there's, there's, there's there's room for that, and I appreciate the uh, the thoughts on that, Dale. Same question for you. Crystal ball out, Nostradamus hat on. A trend that you think we're going to see play out over the rest of 2020 into 2021.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back to a lot of where I found ourselves as as Rain as a company having conversations prior to prior to COVID. Um, because I think that there was still really a cusp of adoption of a voice for more um, long overlooked or long just accepted as the norm type of um, you know, pain points in, in a customer journey that were already beginning to get lifted and saying, we can do this better. Um, and I think I mentioned at the start, telemedicine is one that's a direct response to, to COVID. And I think that the demand of types of, of virtual care appointments that people are going to need to make I think voice has an opportunity to arrive in some sort of screening practice or maybe as a way to, you know, better sift demand to specialists versus just general care and really help make the this new really value-added aspect of, of care um, something that doesn't get bogged down or, or turn people away just as it's really needed more than ever. So I think if we are looking at one of the, the new behaviors out of this, or I'd say the accelerated behaviors out of COVID, I would say that voice as a way to mitigate congestion in telemedicine would be one way that... Uh, would really be, I think, powerful and, and easy to implement. You know, relative. Um, another uh, aspect that I think we saw, uh, or we've been talking a lot about in in, uh, in part of a patient journey is, is prescription is prescription refill, or prescription uh, adherence. So um, there's statistics all over the place about you know I'm sure uh, everyone here is aware about the drop off in adherence and the hundreds of millions of dollars in lost revenue that that ad- adherence uh, is a result of. Um, and I do think that specifically and well-designed uh, experiences that can lower the, you know, the likelihood that a disabled person can't get to the pharmacy or depend on their network or something that they might need for a chronic condition and therefore they fall off, or um, someone that just has you know, forgotten and didn't re-up or didn't go in time is just a part of daily life, another really common reason for lack of adherence. I think that trying to design experiences that are easily executed through your voice uh, also partnered with the rise in prescription delivery, you know, with, with PillPack, with, you know, in New York, it's all over the subway, ads of capsule. I mean, you see the just change in how people are getting their medication. I think that with HIPAA becoming more of a compliance space for voice and conversational places to, to take that type of patient information and transact, I would expect that we start to see voice as a way to reduce the friction in, in prescription refills and prescription ordering as a way to combat adherence. Uh, and I think that's actually a space that, you know, prior to COVID hitting was, was one that was really ripe to, to see some players and then a lot of um, priorities had to shift. But I think that's one place that we would see pick back up as, uh, you know, especially in, in light of something like a vaccine where um, you, you want to focus efforts in, uh, in a doctor's office or in a place for that wide-scale access and, and shift some of these more routine type of uh, behaviors to something that's voice-activated frictionless and can happen in the home. Um, So I say those are two areas, voice as a way to streamline mitigation or to streamline mitigation of the uh, congestion in in telemedicine and as a way to, uh, to, as a factor in the battle against uh, adherence, um, two places I'd I'd like to see and expect maybe to scale into next year.
0: Excellent, yeah, thank you for that as well. And John, last word falls to you, Uh, your thoughts on a trend uh, or trends that you expect to be uh, playing out over the rest of 2020 into 2021.
3: And you're on mute. It was brilliant what I just said, but you know, we missed it. Um, So we'll have to settle for second best here. Uh, First, I I just sort of want to sort of follow up on something that Tara was saying uh, in her response, which is I think one of the trends we're going to see and this isn't voice in particular, but um, you know, even if we solve, and I'm putting that in quote marks very deliberately, COVID, um, all the underlying health problems that existed you know, in January 2020, they're still there. The health disparities, that she was talking about, the high rates of chronic disease and things like that. And so, yeah, COVID may drop lower on the list of the leading killers of people in this country, but that doesn't mean that heart disease went anywhere. Now, what it did reveal, however, very possibly, is that the patterns of utilization that we've been trapped in previously, because it's what we knew, um, that very likely is going to change. You know, you've seen huge drops in utilization for non-COVID related stuff around the country uh, in things like emergency room use. And some of that was, uh, is going to be deferred care that's going to come back to haunt us. Uh, and in particular, not just the healthcare system, but the individuals who who put off that care. Um, and some of that is actually turns out will probably be unnecessary. And maybe when we shift some of those things, we'll actually, you know, we'll be changing the dynamic in the healthcare system. But I think what that ties to is, which is the, the broader point I was gonna make, which is, I think as we look at all these more virtual and distributed, because virtual is really just to enable a distributed care model. I think one of the biggest things we're gonna see is we're going to see a need to, and the opportunity to engage people more frequently in their own care. Um, and the rise of more tools related to that around remote patient monitoring and remote patient monitoring is kind of a clunky term. So I don't I don't particularly love it, but it does sit in this place. And that's really what we're focused on from a LifePod standpoint. And it's not just about RPM as a technology, but it's more how to, and this has always been the, the rate limiting factor for RPM is, it's what an old colleague of mine used to call the so what problem. Okay, you know this is occurring with the individuals, so what do you do about it? And until, uh, you know, until recently, there wasn't enough sort of activation energy to start over figuring out how to overcome the so what problem. But now that we're sort of in this world where we, we recognize that the opportunity to run a more distributed healthcare system is truly a viable thing, then we need to then we can and need to start figuring out the so what problem and i think that's the interesting thing is that voice's role that it can play from an information gathering and an information provision standpoint in a more accessible way than you know what we've done in the past email text messaging things like that but to open it up to more people and then to allow us as a healthcare system as a whole to tackle the so what problem like okay we've collected this information now how do we intervene that I think is, is, is the exciting opportunity here that will you know, very likely lead to a, a significant transformation in the healthcare system.
0: Well said, excellent. <laughs> Appreciate uh, all three of you, Tara, Dale, John, thank you very much for being part of this week in voice or special healthcare series, taking time out of your schedule to share your expertise as well as your experience is greatly appreciated.
1: Great chat, what? thank you for having yeah, me. Happy
0: to join. Thanks for the opportunity. You got it. For This Week in Voice, our special healthcare series, episode three, thank you for listening or watching if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.